but I can't say, like, people will say, oh, they'll ask me different questions about the city and the location, and I really, I really don't know, because, you know, I've lived in the U.S. for so long, I can't tell them, like, oh, here's the good restaurants to go to, and so forth, like, I have no clue on that type of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's like me with L.A., because L.A. changes so much, and, you know, that that's my home, that's where I was brought up and everything, and so because, oh, I'm going to L.A., do you know what a really good restaurant? I go, half the residents I know are gone. I don't have, I haven't lived there in eight years. I don't know. <laughs> the only one, the only one that like just stays and never goes away and is the classic one is the Musso and Franks over on Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Made popular by all the movies. And Nate and Al's in Beverly Hills. Yes. You know. <laughs> Been around forever. Yeah. And- seem to always stay. I think, I don't know, I haven't been there for a while. Is, is uh, Del Mar, I think it's Del Mar? Del, Del Mar? No, not Del Mar. I think it's Del Mar. It's on Farmer's Market. That's one of the big ones. The, the It's like... The one on Third Street? It's right in Farmer's Market. The one I'm talking about. Yeah, like over by the Grove? Yeah. But in the farm, yeah. but in the farmer's market, it's a big one, and uh, they had yeah, the so. they had the best uh, waffles in the world, yeah. and really the best fruit salads too. Wow, check it out. Yeah, but I don't know if it's even there anymore. <laughs> I don't either, but it's not that far from me, so I'll have to check it out. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, when we were in. Gone. It's just 
it's been yeah. struck out. And, I mean, that's yeah. one of the reasons I went to Hollywood, was to get my stuff for my collection of pictures and movies, old movie stars, um, yeah. and stuff like that. And, well, that place moved to Burbank, so I could still go um, get that. Right. But it's just, it's so sad. I, 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 they made it into uh, Beverly Hills, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I just saw an article yesterday, I think, that, um, you know, Romans, it's that big independent bookstore, that one's over by Pasadena, and then also the last bookstop, they're they're both um, getting bought out, which I thought was very interesting. Romans has been around forever. Yeah. And uh, there's also a really cute bookstore, as you know, I work in publishing, so I kind of keep tabs on all the bookstores, yeah. but uh, cute, cute. The last bookstore with the, I don't know if you've ever been oh, in there. Oh, yeah, where of they course. Have just is big displays too. and the winding books and yeah. up the stairs. I mean, incredible. So that's being bought out too. That one's not. That one is still just there and still doing events and stuff. And it's just it's such an iconic little location. But Romans is being bought out, and I'm not sure. Where, I guess I'll keep I'll follow up on that. Yeah, I have a friend who works there, so we'll see what we'll see what happens. But they've just been around forever. We did a. In the past, we've done a lot of book signings there with Writers of the Future winners and judges. So it's, uh, you know, hopefully it stays as, as awesome as it has been. Well, you know, Barnes & Noble's owned by Waterstones. Yeah, I do. Isn't that weird? And they've made a lot of changes. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting now when you go into Barnes & Noble stores. They're all, they're like, they're almost like independent stores because the way they've, um, James Daunt, who bought, uh, Barnes and Noble, who is running it now, um, he made a lot of changes to it, but uh, really customized it by location, and he gave a lot of power to the people in the bookstores that are working there to order what their customers are are asking for. So it's not, you know, management saying these are all the books you have to stock. It's like they're allowed to make decisions on the ground about what books they put in their bookstore, which is really nice because they can really cater to their community. It's just, it was a really smart decision. And that's another interesting thing. Daunt was a small independent bookstore, and now it owns Waterstones and Barnes & Noble and Blackwell's. Right. And it's just, <laughs> you're like, how does this happen? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he's a successful man, and he, you know, he's made, he's made bookstores into you know, he's just done really well with it. So well, and that's and one of the things I think that's one of the intelligent things he did is when he bought other stores, he let them maintain their entity, their their style. And I mean, Don't it, you can still it, there's uh, still Don's. So you can go there in England and and visit yeah. there. You know, and um, but it, it's totally and they can be right next. To Waterstones or Blackwells or one of the other stores they own, and you would never know that they're connected. I know. I even did, but I don't know if you've been into Barnes and Noble stores recently. But um, I was over in New York with John a few few months ago, and uh, you know the, the Barnes and Noble they used to all have like the same look in them, and everything was very corporate-looking and official and, and nice. It was welcoming. It was a bookstore, a large one. But we were in New York, and each one of them looked so different. And, you know, uh, walk in one and all the staff 
you know, there was a wall with like staff picks and they all had their handwritten notes on why this and that was their favorite book. And I thought, wow, you know, a few years ago, you never would have seen a wall of handwritten notes, you know, from the staff at the store. But I found it interesting. I think that's oh, wow, great. It's very personal. I like that. That's, that's cool. Yeah. It's like the, um, yeah. it's like the thing about, um, have a date with a book where they write a note yeah. on the book. And you and it, but it's covered in some really pretty wrapping, and you and you choose your book based on the note. I love that idea. Yes, <laughs> that's that's awesome. And a lot of yeah. it, it started with uh, I think it was like a an independent bookstore that did it, you know, for both for their customers and on the web. But now a lot of bookstores are doing it. Oh yeah, they're getting they're getting clever and. And, of course, you have social media that influences a lot of book sales these days. Do you ever look at BookTube? Book oh, I was going to say, do you ever look at BookTube? <laughs> yeah, there's BookTube and BookTok and all kinds of uh, ways that people buy books these days. Yeah, I know. There's a I lot know. of word of mouth trading. And it's interesting because Barnes & Noble has a book top table. I know. That was the other thing, right when I walked in. Um here in LA and in New York, it's like you walk in the door and it's like book talk recommends, and I was like, wow, this is times are changing. Well, it's so funny because the people on BookTube, they won't even buy a book unless it's gotten a good review on Book Talk. I mean, that's how these kids are thinking. And, you know, mm -hmm. if it's not recommended on Book Talk, I'm not buying it. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like what ha used to happen in the old days with newspaper reviewers, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Totally. It's the, it's the new newspaper reviews. It's like it's what it's become. But, uh, yeah, I was surprised. But then if you go to Amazon, a lot of those, they're also dominating the Amazon sales. Mm -hmm. same, same books. It's impressive. Oh, yeah. And, and the thing is, is that I started going in – BookTube because somebody I knew was on BookTube and I was supporting them, but I kind of gotten into the rabbit hole because I watch now I now I watch a lot of people on BookTube. <laughs> yeah, you can you can, you can get sucked in. <laughs> I don't have BookTok, so I don't actually go there, but I, I hear a lot about it on BookTube, so I don't even yeah. need to go onto BookTok. <laughs> but yeah, it's really funny. Um, the world's changed. Uh, <laughs> For sure. So, um, I know, you said you were in New York. Okay, I have never been to a three-story Barnes & Noble. Is it as amazing as people say? It's amazing. I was, we were just there a few months ago. It's amazing. Um, it's huge. <laughs> And it has like chandeliers in in the first floor. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, because <laughs> I I, I have pictures. pictures. We took some photos somewhere. Uh, I send them over to you. Okay. I'm sure you can Google. I'm sure the pictures on Google are much nicer than the ones I took. Well, but yes, I I've seen they they have what they call um, bookstore tours, and what they do is uh, the booktuber will go to all the bookstores that they can can in a city. So if they're in New York, they go to all those. If they're in London, they go to those. If they're in L.A., 
Portland, Paris, all over. Uh, it's really fun because I would never be able to see something, a bookstore in China or Tokyo because I haven't been to Asia. And they but. have... They have pictures of these places, and they're really fascinating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the one in New York City, I mean, the, the big one there, you know, you walk in and there's just escalators everywhere, but the outside of the building is stunning. Mm -hmm. It looks like this old, I don't even know, it's just a beautiful building. It's not something you would see here in Los Angeles, that's for sure. No. And I don't think, do we... You, you. Do we have any multi-story hmm? bookstores? That's what I was trying to remember, because I, I don't think we have any here in San Diego. Do they have any multi-story bookstores like they do oh, in London and New York? They have the the one at the Grove, um, the Barnes & Noble at the Grove. That's oh, a multi-story one. Okay. I, I don't remember. I mean, I've been to the Grove, but I don't remember if I even went into Barnes & Noble when I was there. I didn't realize that was a multi-story. Yeah. But it it's like so many of them. Like in, in mm -hmm. London, almost all of them are two, three, five stories. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I'm glad that, all I'm those glad books. that people are still reading. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it's good for both of us, me as a writer and you as a uh, publisher. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, that's part of my job here is to launch careers for new authors. So, so long as there's still a market and people still want want to read then that works really well for me yep i know i have a stack of books i'm reviewing so yeah i agree <laughs> no good yeah you're you're very well read i try um i love books i mean i have a stack of books that i'm not reviewing that i'm just reading uh <laughs> as you should yeah i mean and i like classics um i was just gonna say i put a, a few classics on my bedside table to read so that's my next my next go around is go back to some of the classics. Yeah, I have a Virginia Woolf and a um, Forster. Cause I, okay. Yeah, I, I haven't read where Angels Fear to Tread, so I, I really want to read that Forster because I read almost all the other it. books. Have you have you read that? I have not, so I'll put add that to the list. I I. I I literally went and grabbed like three or four of the quote band books <laughs> that I pulled. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, I got a different Virginia Woolf. I mean, all anybody ever talks about is Mrs. Dalloway oh, yeah. and stuff. I got The Voyage Out, which was her first book. And how, did you read it? I'm about halfway through. It's really different, but it's very, it's very good. It's very poetic. Um, but it's not one of her stream of conscious books, so it's it's a really easy read. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, I have a question. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I know the answer to this already, but um, you have read some of the Writers of the Future books, right? Like, I know mm -hmm. you do some sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. I've read some of and them. And do you like those? Yeah, I love them. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, I, I especially if I get really friendly with one of uh, my guests, I read their story. And <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> in volume thirty-nine last year, I had a, a particular uh, one that it, it was a it was a real fun one. Um, it was a it was a comedy fantasy. It was called Death and the Tax Man. I think you interviewed the author even, uh, David Hankins. Oh yeah. Uh, 
but I don't yeah. think I, I, I don't think I read that one yet. Oh, it's so funny. It's very clever, but I just got reminded of it because uh, I saw in an email yesterday that he won a Critters Award for that story. Oh, I'm very happy for him. That's great. I so, love it. So I went back and read that one. That's why that one was fresh on my mind. I just went back and read it after he won the award, and I was like, oh, we just published that last year. That's nice that he got that award. <laughs> Yeah, it's always cool when they get other uh, awards after they win yours. <laughs> I know. It's like we gave him an award for writing the story and published it, and and he went on to get an award for his award-winning story. It's very cute. So yeah, multi-award. That's not bad. Can't you can't complain yeah, about no. that because you can actually put that on your stuff. We have this multi-award-winning author. <laughs> yeah. This one little short story won this many awards. How amazing. Isn't that amazing? I know. It's amazing. I think he novelized it, too, recently. Well, now, that's interesting, because uh, it's, it's interesting to stretch a short story into novel form, even a novella. It's just, it because it, you don't want it to just look like you're stretching it. <laughs> exactly. That, yeah. And then, it, yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a task, you know, to, to sit there and turn that into a novel and make it not drag out and actually, you know. But some of these guys that enter Writers of the Future uh, are novel writers that, you know, went and made a short story. Like Patrick Rothfuss, when he won the contest, he actually, he writes novels, you know, that is what he writes. But when he entered Writers of the Future, he took like a chapter um, out of his book and then submitted that and then won the contest. But he made that into a short story, just a, a section of it. So there are some people that can go, go both ways. Like Brandon Sanderson, he's one of our judges for Writers of the Future, and he uh, he did a short story in one of them. But he he basically took like a chapter and made that into its own short story. So that was uh, yeah, it's just interesting. Some people can do both, and some people prefer to just write novels, and some prefer to just do short stories. So. But those that could do both are good for them. Well, I think that it's like movies to books. It's their art forms, you know, a short story to a book. It's these are different art forms of writing. Not everybody has right. the knack of doing it. I mean, um, I love science fiction, but I also love mysteries. And there are mystery writers who are great at writing short stories and aren't that great at writing novels. And then there's mystery writers that are. Great at writing novels and that, uh, no, short stories, and, and I'm getting all mixed up. They One way or the other. And then there's the ones that do great at both, you know, like an Agatha Christie yeah. who can write brilliant oh, short yeah. stories and brilliant novels, you know. But it, it's not it's not that easy. It's a knack. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. I know L. Ron Hubbard did the same thing. He wrote... Wrote a ton of short stories and pulps, and then he wrote several novels as well. Tons. I mean, he wrote hundreds of stories, but um, but yeah, he was he definitely had that skill. Was Keeps he, you going while you're reading. Was he pa published by uh, Harry Ackerman? For, for, Forrest Ackerman. Well, Forrest, Forrest Ackerman. Ackerman. That's what Forrest Ackerman. Yeah. My, yeah. my father told me about him because my dad was big into pulps when he was a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I love the pulps. Uh, I had, I've read so many. They're just so much fun. Every, you know, the pulps are just like 
they're just so much fun because you just like open one up and it's just that kind of like jumps out of the page on you and then it's like action 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 and then it's done <laughs> you like go on to the next one it's just, they're definitely a lot of fun yeah i i they're they're different they're so it's, it's like i said it's a different knack to write one of those Absolutely. from a regular short story to one for the pulps it's totally different kinds of modes you know and yeah, you have to do it toward that uh, kind of. I, I mean, there aren't pulps anymore, but do it toward that kind of uh, magazine. Also, another mm-hmm. thing that we don't have today, which I I remember, it was sort of probably a dying art when I was a kid. But uh, when they used to put uh, books in as little sections, I forgot what they called it, in magazines. You know, like uh, yes. they they were still doing it when I was a teen. Um, the what's the name of it? Um, uh, the Stepford the Stepford Wives that that came out in uh, uh, I think Ladies Home Journal. Uh, believe oh, it or really? not, yeah. And my mom gave it to me and said, "Here, you probably would like this." <laughs> wow. It was, and you and know, because it's one, itself. it's part one, part two, part three, part four, part five. So it's mm-hmm. like delayed. That's, that's um, one of the things they say when you read a classic that was during the period when uh, people uh, did kind of, that kind of stuff, like Dickens or um, um, uh, Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle for uh, Holmes. You have to realize the reason it's written the way it is is because that is what they were doing. Right. <laughs> they were writing. You're it. talking about like the serials and how they were doing each each time another one. Yeah, that's exactly yes. what it was. It was, but it was in yeah. magazines. I think the Strand was a big magazine that they used to do that yes. on. Yeah. And the um, Strand did history, right? Yeah. Mystery stories, yeah. Yeah. And, no, no. Strand did uh, all stories. It did mysteries, but it did science fiction too. It did all kinds of stories, yeah. But okay, Strand magazine today is all mysteries. Yeah, it's all mysteries. Um, yeah. But uh, there was other ones too that that just it. But it's really interesting because I was uh, watching a booktube guy and he said that the way to really read Dickens is to read one section of it a month because that way you actually understand what he was trying to do. <laughs> because look you get at, the feel of how it was for the people reading it as it was coming out. Yeah, because um, uh, look at how big, like, Great Expectations or David Copper, these are not small books. <laughs> mm-hmm. So instead of trying to read it in one go, you read, like, a section a month. And he goes, then you'd be mm-hmm. just like the people back then, and you'll probably understand it and appreciate it more than if you try to just cram it into your head. <laughs> I'd probably, I have not read that, but I'll, I'll, once I do, I have a feeling I'm going to be cramming it. It's going to be a binge read. I don't think I can do once and months like that. I, I oh, actually... I'll read like one section like a night or something. Yeah. I, that, I, I could do that. I mean, I, I have never done it, but he was just saying I was watching it. I thought it was very interesting. There's a lot of interesting stuff. There's another thing that's modern that they do, and I've never heard of this before. Maybe you have, but they call it immersive reading, 
what they do is they listen to the audiobook and they read the book at the same time. And they said sort of like closed captioning while you're reading the book. And I'm like, I would be so distracted. I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, we we actually, um, with, with Galaxy Press, we did that um, many, it started in 2008, and we started because we basically took the stories from the Golden Age, which is all those 1930s and 40s uh, pulp stories, the ones from L. Ron Hubbard. There were 153 of them, and uh, but they were not all known to be him because they were written under many pen names. And we actually got those in, and republished them, and, and we did books and audiobooks. And the audiobooks were unabridged, and they were matched exactly with the book itself. And they were all, you know, fully dramatized, sound effects, music, like everything, like an old-time radio theater show. But they sounded like they sounded like a movie, and you could read the book and listen at the same time. And it was part of a. Some people were using them for like reading programs for schools because it was in, it was getting the kids like engaged enough to be able to read and listen because it made it really fun. Uh, I never myself tried it that way, but I know that uh, some people, and that was like for me, that's, that was my introduction to the immersive uh, side of it because I was like, wow, okay, well, that's a thing. It's a thing. I mean, the people do do that. Oh, yeah. This one was fully dramatized, though. It wasn't just like someone reading to you. It was like in the, the, in the Westerns, the horses were going, and you could hear the gunshots and everything, like all the sound effects. There's a lot of fun stories. I know we still sell a lot of them. Uh, over at galaxypress.com, but you can get the book and the audiobook. And people who were doing English as a second language were, were using that also because um, you're actually hearing the words and then you see how they're written on the page. So that's a really, of, that must be really yeah. good for them. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, the, the, yeah. the, to do it together. But I just, um, yeah, I heard this girl talking on her channel and I was uh, talking about immersive and I'm like, never heard of that. And then they explained what it is, and I go, oh, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I love audiobooks. Yeah. I listen to audiobooks, and I read, I love novels. I read the, I like having a real book. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I can't see doing it together. <laughs> no, and the thing about it for me is, is I read faster than the voice speaks, so that, it starts to throw me off if I'm doing both, but also like if I'm listening to an audiobook and and no, don't don't hate me for doing this, but I usually speed them up <laughs> because I can't I don't like listening that slow or reading that slow. Yeah, um, I do too, so it's fine. I do too. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't yeah. speed it up too much, but I do I do speed no. it up. Um, but yeah, I and and sometimes they have amazing narrators. Like oh yeah, uh, I listened to Heartburn and it had Meryl Streep uh, was yeah. the narrator. I mean, it was I I think that I it, I listened to that book in one night because it's just I couldn't stop listening to her. Right, she is so amazing. She yeah. is. I know there's some there's some uh, every year John and I go to the. Uh, Audio Publishers Association Conference and the Audio Awards and the audiobook talent. I mean, that's its own whole industry, and those, those people are amazing. I mean, what talent. You don't, like, the best ones are the ones you're not even really thinking about while you're listening. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. And, and then there are they're people that you know because you've seen them in TV shows and stuff who also do books, and they're amazing. <laughs> yeah. Because you just think of them yeah. as actors, like, on the screen, and you don't think of them as narrators. And but here they are doing every voice, and it's like, oh, that's yeah. so fantastic. I know. And then there's some people that just do, I mean, they look like they could be movie stars, but they literally just do audiobooks for a living. Like, mm -hmm. They're just voice talent. They call, they call them the golden voices, like the Dion Grahams of the world. Yeah. Scott Burns and stuff. Yeah, there's yeah. some there's some people that are just perfect at audiobooks. It just, I, they were, like, born for it. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You have exciting news for this year for uh, Writers of the Future. Did you want to let everybody yeah, know? Yeah, we do, actually. So, <laughs> so this year, uh, 2024, it's the 40th anniversary for the L. Ron Hubbard Writers of the Future contest. Wow. So we are going to be publishing Volume 40. The winners have already been selected. I mean, the grand prize judging for it is happening as we speak. But the um, all the winners are, are uh, we have all the stories in for the volume and it's coming out early May. But the big annual gala event where we're flying these people in from all over the world. It's 12 writers and 12 illustrators. That's coming up on 25 April. So if anybody listening wants to tune in and watch that event live and see all the winners for the year. I mean, it's also a very entertaining event. But um, that'll be streaming live at writersofthefuture.com. And if anybody, you know, you can sign up for the newsletter there and then get all the inside skinny of what's going on behind the scenes when, because these guys, the winners, they'll come out here for a week-long workshop before the actual event. It's all kinds of activities and art reveal. So there's so much awesome stuff that's happening for that whole week um, that anybody can sort of come tune into and sort of be there with them it's a lot of fun. But we're excited. 40th anniversary. I mean, started out back in the 80s, and I don't know if, you know, obviously this contest has been going now for 40 years, and it gets bigger and bigger every year. Um, it's the writer contest and the illustrator contest. It's free to enter. It's all blind judged. So on the writer's contest side, it's all by big best-selling authors, all the top New York Times sellers in science fiction fantasy, and on the illustration side, same thing. Uh, all the top dogs are the ones that are judging the art that comes in, and they pick basically 12 winners every year, and then we publish it in the anthology, and it's like we were talking about earlier, this one's short story, so, um, so that volume, Vol 40, will be coming out, and this, the cover for the new volume is being done by uh, Dan Dos Santos, who's a, a judge for Illustrators of the Future. He's a big uh, cover artist, uh, very successful. He also just did a whole 52, I think it, maybe it's even more than that, paintings for Marvel and some exclusive box set cards and stuff. Um, but he's doing the cover, and there's going to be a big cover reveal event. We're going to have all the winners there. We're going to have Dan Dos Santos, who did the cover art, uh, S.M. Sterling, he did the uh, story that goes, he's a historical fiction author, and he did the story that goes with the cover art, and oh, I can't wait for people to see it, it's absolutely stunning, and uh, March 1st, we're having that event, anybody can attend, it's virtual, um, and that one, 
to be able to get on the list and, and the link to register, you you actually need to sign up for the Writers of the Future newsletter just because that's where the link gets sent out. Or you can probably check it. It might actually also be on the Facebook page for Writers and Illustrators of the Future. There'll be a link there also. But uh, anybody can come to that. And, and the winners will be there, and you'll talk a bit. And um, Dan will talk about the cover art, and uh, S.M. Sterling will talk about the the book in there, but that's all very exciting. We have a big year. Um, you know, it, these guys, it's not just like they submitted a story a few hundred people. Uh, we found some winners, and, you know, this is like the contest has gotten so big now. So for the 40th anniversary, I mean, we judged by quarter. So there's the contest is broken up into four quarters out of the year. Each quarter gets thousands of entries. So it's, there's, there's a lot of competition, so they really are the best, and we're super excited about the 40th anniversary. The event is going to be spectacular. We have uh, some entertainment flying over from England for it, and it's just going to be a great event. So anybody, highly recommend you come tune into it. It's going to be on April 25th, 7 o'clock uh, p.m. Pacific time at writersofthefuture.com. Okay, that sounds exciting. And um, yeah. so, so, so it's already been selected. The people who are going to be uh, flown out and everything, that's already been selected. Yeah, so basically all the 12 writers and the 12 illustrators that are featured in the book have already been selected. But there is going to be a grand prize writer and grand prize illustrator. And... Those get announced at the event on April 25th. They, with all of the winners, we, we consider them all winners, but and they are all getting prize money, and they are all getting uh, published in the book, and they're getting paid pro rates for their stories and their art that's going in the book. But there's going to be an additional grand prize winner who will get an additional $5,000 and a very, you know, the big trophy, the golden pen and the golden brush award trophies. And that is what gets announced on the 25th of April at the event. That's really cool. And the event's going to be, yeah, the event's going to be a lot of fun. We're working on putting that together right now. Um, and, you know, we have some surprises, fun stuff lined up for that event. Is there a theme? Are you going to all dress like you're in the 1980s? <laughs> in the 1980s. <laughs> After you see the cover reveal on, on March 1st, and I'm sure that will be posted online in case somebody can't attend that. It'll probably there'll be a link at the Writers and Illustrators of the Future Facebook page to see it. But once that cover, you see the cover, you'll you'll understand what the theme of the event will be. Okay. All right. So that makes sense. No, I just I was just joking. <laughs> I was thinking, wouldn't that, oh, be, that would be fun? Wouldn't that be funny dressing like the '80s? <laughs>
in that decade, <laughs> but I, it was I remember, very different. I remember when I, um, my first suit for work I got with, um, for a real office type job um, was like 84, 85, something like that. And it was a pink suit with shoulders that were like four times the size of my actual shoulders. <laughs> I love it. Pink on top of that. And, and of course, the hair had to go straight up to match the shoulder pads, right? <laughs> well, actually, I, uh, they always puff it up at the hair salon, but I kind of went for the Peggy Fleming look. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> you know where you can twist your hair back and forth? <laughs> mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I just, well, I did have it when I was in high school is the Farrah Fawcett look. Oh, yeah. Uh, that well, was a I big mean, deal. That was the fluffed up hair, too, the feathered and. That was the feathered look, right? That was the feathered look, yeah. I actually really yeah. liked the feathered look. I know it's corny now, but I thought it was pretty. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you look at some magazines right now, and it's coming right back. Everything comes back. It's one thing when I would, like, I they got sandal shoes, like, in the 80s, and my mom goes, yeah, they're back. I go, oh, you had these, mm -hmm. too. My mom was always, oh, we had those. Oh, we had those. <laughs> Every outfit, oh, yeah. in every new look, oh, that's not new. We used to wear those. No, it's so funny now when I see, like, young kids wearing something from, like, the late 70s or 80s when I was young, and then I go, gosh, we used to wear those when I was a kid. And I said, well, doesn't that make me feel old? Because adults would say that kind of thing to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, my mom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now I say it, you know, when I see somebody wearing something, I go, oh, my God. Next thing you know, they're going to be wearing flare bell-bottom jeans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then they do. Uh, I actually really like that, by the way. <laughs> I wore them growing up. I love those so jeans. On platform shoes. <laughs> platform shoes. I had those, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. you just go through those, tr everybody went through the same trends. I mean, everybody wanted to do whatever the latest look was, the leather jackets and um, bomber jackets. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. It's funny. Anyway, I just, I, I, I don't. I write a fun sci-fi story that's like 80s again. That, that was like 80s sci-fi was pretty awesome. It was. There was some really great science fiction books and TV shows and movies in the 80s. I mean, yeah. it was really, it was, it was the beginning of the boom for the science mm -hmm. fiction. Thank you, Star Wars and Star Trek. Yep. <laughs> between those two movie, TV for Star Trek and movie for Star Wars, between those two, that's what really made it uh, cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then we had some, which they now call classics, like the Orson Scott Card Ender's Game and the Elron Hubbard Battlefield Earth and a lot of other big sci-fi books that were coming out. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. My yeah. dad loved Ender's Game. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it. Yeah, see, the thing was, my father read Golden Age science fiction from when he was a kid. And he kind of kept reading it yeah. over and over and over, and he got bored, which is not surprising. So one uh, for his birthday, my brother and I went into a store, 
trying to find something that he'll like, but he because he didn't like the dystopian type of book. He wanted something positive. So we were in the store, and the person who we didn't know, and he didn't know us, heard us talking. He said, oh, try this book. Your dad would probably like it. And it was Ender's Game? Yeah. Oh, and did he like it? Yeah. He loved it. Right. Yeah. But isn't that funny? See, that was what was fun about going to a brick-and-mortar store. You never knew who you were going to talk to or what was going to happen. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> and you walk out with this big old book. <laughs> yeah, and, and then it's, it was a big book. <laughs> like, gift in, your gift nowadays, well, it, it got emailed to you. It's a link. <laughs> you know? I know, I know. I know. can't wrap it. I, I, and that's another thing. I do read ebooks because I read a lot of books, but I still like a paperback or a hard. I like a book. You can smell. I know. You know? Yeah. I like a real yeah. book that you can cuddle with. Anybody <laughs> grew up reading still likes that, but I hear kids nowadays are back into liking books again. I don't know. Maybe it's the the bell bottoms coming back or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But well, they we like that. They're into the, um, you know, there's like uh, publishing of all these really beautiful covers, the mm-hmm. the ones with um, the the gold foil and the edging and <laughs> and all this stuff. And this is what they're going. This, like, I, I'm like, do you actually read the book? <laughs> Or are they just buying a, a decoration with it? Oh, no. But no, no, no they, they, they read. Because I can tell because they're talking about it and I can their enthusiasm. I know they're reading it. It's just, it, but the, their first love is whatever the cover looked like. Oh, my God, yeah. have you seen this cover? Yes, they are works of art. A good cover is, is amazing. It is. The one thing also about having an e-reader that made a huge difference is if you're going on a trip and you want to read on the plane and on your trip, not carrying a stack of books in your bag, which is already heavy while you're traveling, that made a big difference. Yeah, the thing is why I liked it. it, E-readers are fine. I I use them, like I said. But I always like to save my space in my suitcase for the books I'm going to buy when I'm traveling. (laughs) Yeah. You have to leave a little bit of room in there. You know, so you could get the books that you want from, like, when I was in England or France and just wanted to go to the stores I wanted to go to and to get um, the books I wanted to get. And I always try to leave space. Yeah. (laughs) Pack your bag and say, do I really need that one pair of shoes? That one's going to go, so I have room for books. Okay, good. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Yeah, I've done that. I actually did that. I asked the a lady who was the maid for the room. I said, "Hey, would you like these shoes?" Oh, I would love to see your bookshelf. You must have some amazing books. If you've traveled all around and bought books from all these different countries, your bookshelf must look spectacular. Yeah, they're kind of crowded though. Well, yeah, but that's like the adventure. You're gonna go pull one out, and it's like wow, where's this one from? I've never seen this one before. And look at this. And this one's from Paris. And this one's from from the UK. And just, you know, browsing all these different books, pulling them out and seeing what's what. That must be a treat. Yeah. I actually really love UK covers. 
I do. I actually, I, I, I like to, even though if I don't go, I use, I buy them through Blackwells or something. <laughs> and they're different sizes, so that'll make your shelf look interesting to all the different sizes of books. Oh, I know, and I like to get old books too, so I have some really pretty folios uh, books from like Agatha Christie, and I have wow. a folio book from P.D. James. And um, PG would would that would I can't say his name. He wrote G's and, and Wooster. I can't say his name. Um, but um, yeah, I, I I like to get, but I I get them secondhand. I can't afford them from the Folio Society. <laughs> They're too expensive. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like to get all different kinds of books. But yeah, my shelves are like loaded. <laughs> That's nice. Nice bookshelf. Well, I'm sitting here looking at a big old bookshelf myself right this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All your books from Galaxy well, Press. <laughs> well, we have in where I'm looking right now, they're from all different books. A lot of the books also from our Writers of the Future judges who, you know, just from, from the ones from the early times all the way up until present. Uh, there's a lot of sci-fi fantasy books up here I'm looking at, mystery books. What's spectacular is is if you ever make it up here to Los Angeles, to our office, you have to come get a come tour and look at the Writers of the Future Lounge where we have just shelves and shelves and shelves uh, of books, rows of shelves that have been uh, filled up with books of people who have won the contest or judges of the contest and they just go on and on and you know someone will win the contest and could be 35 40 years ago and when they publish a book they don't always but a lot of time they'll send a book into us and they go on to the shelf for the writers and illustrators of the future so we have just all these books and you can just peruse rows and rows of books from our winners and that's kind of like makes us proud of all of them and all, all that they've accomplished do they sign it to you Yes, sometimes. Do they, 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 they sign, sign them, you said? Yeah, some of them are signed, yeah. some of them not. I love that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have a section of signed books. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, we'll have to get you, um, are you Are you planning on coming out to the writers of the future? I, I don't know. It depends how okay, well, I'm feeling. Let me know. We'll make sure to get you a signed book. Okay, cool. Either I, way. I love Either way, book. we'll get you a fully signed book. Okay. I love that. Um, yeah. Coming to the end, I think that everybody would like to have the website and how they can enter the Writers of the Future and the social media you're on, Emily. Sure, yeah. So, obviously, the uh, books, the Writers of the Writers of the Future books can be gotten anywhere books are sold. Uh, you can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a lot of it, pretty much any independent bookstore can order it if they don't have it in stock. Uh, but galaxypress.com, that's the publisher. So you find all these books I've been talking about. Um, so that's galaxypress.com. And then if you want to enter the Writers of the Future, if you've got a short story, uh, you can enter at writersofthefuture.com, and you will see a ton of resources there on that website. You'll, the books are there, but we also have um, the Writers of the Future podcast is there. There's the blogs. There's
there's a writer's forum where other new writers or illustrators can find like-minded people that help each other out, um, all kinds of topics. It's a massive forum there. Uh, there's a free online writing workshop taught by Orson Scott Card, and we were talking about Ender's Game earlier, Tim Powers and David Farland. So that's a free online workshop. There's a lot of resources there. So, And that's also if somebody wants to watch the event, that'll be streaming there. You can also uh, go to the Facebook page, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's Writers of the Future. Um, and it's the Twitter one, it's shorter. It's Woof, like W-O-T-F Contest. Okay. And Otherwise, it's Writers of the Future. Yeah. And are you on Instagram and all that stuff? Um, and what is your handles on other, like, websites other than Facebook? It'll also be... Yeah, it'll be WOTF contest. Okay. So, like, for writers of the future contest. Okay. Um, I want to thank you for uh, taking time out of your day for coming and chatting with me. I love chatting with you, Emily. <laughs> I love chatting with you. Thank you so much for, for taking time for me. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs> to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I'll give you an instant $30 discount. That's 59% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body. And let me give you a $30 instant discount right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and get a $30 instant discount to save 59%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com.